Hey everyone, welcome to episode 54 of the Switch Focus podcast. I'm your host, Andy Corrigan. With me as usual is Andy Brown. Hello. And Ginny Wu. Hi. And we've got a bit of a packed show for you this week. Uh, Andrew's been under a bit of stress with all the games we've been throwing at him. But we're going to talk some more about Diablo 3, get some spine-tingling chillingness from the Yamawari collection, mm-hmm. uh, some Rogue Legacy, Valiant Hearts, which is released on a topical weekend, uh, Brawlhalla, some carnival games, which I'm sure will be the highlight of, <laughs> of the episode, <laughs> and uh, NBA 2K Playgrounds 2. Let's start with updates from the last episode. <laughs> So, although I wasn't on last week's episode, I could tell that Andrew had been mostly enjoying Diablo 3 and that shows no sign of slowing down. How are you uh, finding it? What, what stage are you at at this point? And do we need to get you a intervention? <laughs> I having, I'm having a difficult time stopping playing. Uh, I did, Excellent. I did finish the story last weekend, as I planned to do. It's The main story really isn't that long, but the main story is really not the main draw of the game. The main draw of the game is the adventure mode, which casts you back into the world and gives you a random assortment of missions to complete. If you finish them all, you get a bonus items at the end of it and then of course there's the nephilim rifts which are completely randomly generated levels filled with a random assortment of enemies that you'll never find in the main game and it gives you all kinds of rewards to build on that as well and it's just it's great mindless fun it's a it's the fun kind of grinding i would say because it's a grind that doesn't feel like a grind and i just can't seem to stop myself from uh, doing it, even though I have so much else to play this week that we've actually gotten a surprising number of publisher codes this week. I don't know what's going on, but we've been trying to keep up with that deluge. I haven't got to Diablo 3 yet, um, but with with this adventure mode talk, I can just see us having a bit of deja vu <laughs> with uh, that we had with Hyrule Warriors, where I'm probably going to stop at the end of the story. No. And you and you two will yell at me. Yes, I will yell at you uh, a lot. Waste of money, man. So where are you, Ginny? Um, so I, like Andrew, have played the story um, and finished it. It's also a story that I've played through maybe 12 times on the PC. Only 12? Because, um, <laughs> I mean, for me, yeah, so I've been playing, I play a lot of Diablo on the PC anyway. So basically all I've been doing for the past couple of years is just seasonal farming. So I've not touched the story really since a couple months after Reapers of Souls came out and I dealt with that and finished it. So what can I say? There's a reason why I've played an immense amount of hours of Diablo on on the PC. I will probably go back to playing it on PC just because all my friends play it on PC as well. But I think it's really, it's just great. It's a really, really good port. I thought that my Switch would handle it worse than it did. I was always waiting for it to kind of, I guess, give up on me, because I had lots of issues playing um, the Warriors games that we've talked about on the show on my Switch, but everything was fine. Like, I love it. It's great. I think that you really, really should, if you can, Andy, and have the time, try a little bit of the adventure mode and, like, the greater riff farming, even things like key farming. Like, Andrew's right. This is a game whereby when you grind, it doesn't feel like you're leveling 1 to 50 in World of Warcraft back in the old days. 
Like, this actually feels like you're getting somewhere. The loot that you get, even it might not be the set that you're grinding for, will often give you improvement, so you're never kind of, like, plateaued out when you're grinding. You're always improving. So I really recommend that you finish it and finish the story and try some of the endgame stuff as well and the seasonal stuff. Have you been finding the seasonal stuff okay, Andrew? I don't know if you did much of it normally, but... I've only been playing with my seasonal necromancer so far. Mm. So explain the seasonal stuff to me. Playing the seasonal stuff in Diablo 3 is what's really given the game its longevity for me because every few months Blizzard will start a new season in the game where you have to start over completely from scratch. You lose all of your passive bonuses that you've earned across your account and all your tab slots. You even lose your story progress, but you're probably not going to be playing the story all that much you'll just dive right into adventure mode uh and then you see how fast you can build it up again and it gives you this really clearly defined set of goals called your season journey which is divided up into i think eight different steps maybe it's nine but if you just finish the first four steps of the journey which isn't too demanding it only takes five to ten hours to do it then you can unlock a complete set for your class, which you can then carry over into the non-seasonal play after that season ended. So it's worth it just for that alone. But you also unlock cosmetic items like new portrait frames, you unlock new pets for your character, and you unlock Mm -hmm. new transmog items. And all this stuff happens every few months, and it's just good, mindless, unlockable fun, aside from the set stuff, which is really where a lot of Diablo 3's end game longevity comes is assembling all of these sets and there are several dozen for the seven different character classes i think if you want to be playing this game in the long term the season play is really where it's at and how it works on diablo 3 eternal collection on switch uh, is kind of interesting uh, because you do obviously with the switch expect to spend a lot of time away from the internet connection and you can play seasons offline but you have to do it in very specific ways i said last week that you couldn't play it offline that's not actually true it's a little more complicated than that Uh, if you are connected to the internet when the app is on then you can play a season character and if it internet gets disconnected because you've left the house or your wi-fi just got turned off for whatever reason as long as you keep the app open you can keep playing your seasonal characters and you can keep switching between your existing seasonal characters the only thing you can't do is make new seasonal characters and if you close the app then you lose access to them Hmm. since the the portable nature of the switch is so key to the entire experience. I, I think that there is that much of an ability to play it portably at all if you're playing in seasons is good, but if you are the kind of person to drop in and drop out, you're probably still better off uh, having a character that you just play portably and just play season when you're at home. Okay, with that, there's no uh, Switch news to talk about this week, so we're just going to get straight into what we've played. Ginny, you've been playing the Yomawari collection, and mm-hmm. uh, we discussed this briefly on the, the Halloween episode, uh, and we neither of us have played it. I, I'd heard a bit <laughs> about it. I've, I've had it recommended to me a bunch. Yeah. Does it live up to the, the recommendations? Is it worth playing? Well, it depends. How much do either of you like suffering? I am playing Dark Souls. Okay, more emotional suffering. You mean life. Um, yeah, well, great. It looks like you're both acclimatized to the main premise of your Mawari collection. 
So this should be great for both of you. It is, obviously, since it was on our Halloween episode, a horror game. Kind of like a top-down isometric type thing. It's good to note that the complete collection comes with both Yomawari releases. So that's Midnight Shadows and Night Alone. I played them on the Vita and I never finished them on the Vita because when they came out, I did not have the guts to finish it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, before anyone gets freaked out and thinks that it's like 99% jump scares and like gigantic awful faces and stuff, it's not. It's just the kind of overwhelming sense of menace and helplessness that the game instills in you. So basically, in either title, you're playing a small girl. You're like a small child. You are very clearly a very young, very naive, very wholesome child. The game has quite a shocking way of opening you up to this horror premise. Basically, you are out in town walking your dog, something bad happens, and then you're basically having to to walk around alone with like a little tiny flashlight and navigating the streets of what looks like rural Japan. And their premise is that there are things in the shadows that will one-hit KO you, and they are very dangerous. And your job is to basically navigate around this town safely while looking for different people, so different members of your family, and also solving a bunch of puzzles. I would say that it is less about logic puzzles and more about being under your covers at night, clinging to your pajamas and hoping that when you swing a flashlight around as you turn a corner, that there won't be something there that will gut your character. So (laughs) it's really great. It is really great about sound design, unlike The Quiet Man, um, anecdotally. (laughs) Basically, there's very little to actually listen to. You have to listen to the sound of your character's footsteps and your heartbeat which actually speeds up as there's more danger around you so all you really have to go on navigation wise and any warning about the environment kind of comes from you really really honing in on that sound and the game has a mechanic whereby if you're fleeing from something the faster your heart beats and like the more exertion you go through the slower you end up running you get given the bare minimum of tools to i guess navigate around the game's world and the game basically treats you exactly like the avatar you're playing, like a tiny, very tired child. The story is very dark. I would even hazard a guess and say that um, at least the way that people will receive it is that uh, life sucks and then you die. It's not a game that you're playing for like a happy ending or like a resolution, but it's a very atmospherically effective horror game. It's a very short title. You really won't need more than, I would say, maybe 15 hours to get through them. And if you can sort of catch us onto patterns quite quick, even quicker than that. I think they're both really good examples of environmental storytelling that don't require written dialogue, that don't require quests, that don't require anything other than your character interacting the world. Like it feels like it's malevolently breathing. It is a very, very spooky game. Both of them are. And I would highly recommend it if you haven't played Yomawari before. I've not played a game like it. Okay, Andrew, you've been playing Rogue Legacy. This game seems right up your alley. Yeah, you would think so, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've been playing Rogue Legacy, which I believe, uh, based from marketing that the publisher was doing, it was the game that made roguelike and roguelite a a name, like a a, a thing. Like, I'm sure there have been rogue clone games that came out before rogue legacy that did similar things but this was the first game that came out that said this is a rogue like and what it is is it's basically a uh, 
a side scroller akin to classic style Castlevania or Ghosts and Goblins, where you go into this castle, which changes form every time it, you enter it, and you try to get as far as you can to kill all the bosses inside and find the secret at the end of the castle. But the catch is every time you die, the next character that goes in is actually one of your children from the previous character. So that is the rogue legacy. It's this legacy of this family invading this castle and trying to get all the things inside it. And every time a character dies, which this is a hard game, you will die. Uh, all the money that they got gets sent out into the world somehow. It's not explained how, but that's a thing that happens. And their their <laughs> children and their other family members spend it developing the family estate, which is how you raise your character stats, because somehow by adding a second floor to your manor, that increases your attack strength. I don't know how that works, but <laughs> that's the conceit that this game operates under. Uh, in about four hours that I've played of it so far, I did get the first boss down, and I'm struggling to even reach the second boss now. But the nice thing is once you beat a boss, it stays beaten, and there's only four bosses that you have to beat. So technically, I'm a quarter of the way through the game already. It's all right. Uh, I think it has the same problem that a lot of games like this have, where it's been copied a lot since it came out. So the things it's doing that were new and exciting have been built upon, especially by games that have already come out on the Switch. So it seemed a lot less impressive, uh, particularly... Immortal Redneck, which I was surprised to learn that Immortal Redneck basically copies the Rogue Legacy stat upgrade tree pretty closely to the point that a lot of the classes that you unlock are almost identical. But Rogue Legacy, it's a important indie game, so it's cool that it's on Switch now, but it's not essential, I would say. I've heard there's a sequel coming out, so maybe that will be more relevant today, but right now it's just it's just another roguelike in the many, many roguelikes on the Switch. Yeah, it sort of sounds like the problem you had with Dark Souls last week where you've you've heard so much about it, you've played games that are, that sort of riff on it pretty much one to one, so by the time you go back to it it's instantly less impressive than what it would have been had you got to this first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I played probably about fifteen minutes of this and enjoyed it but I just sort of got to this point where I just didn't feel it was for me and dropped it uh, on Vita, I think I had it. So, uh, Ginny, you played it? No, I haven't. Um, I usually enjoy roguelikes, but I have not touched Rogue Legacy. <laughs> and I don't know if I will, because I've played so many roguelikes, and I think I'll be in that same position as Andrew, whereby I've played so many before that now it seems derivative. Cool. So uh, one thing that I haven't been playing, but I have played before, Valiant Hearts, The Great War. That released on Switch this week ahead of Remembrance Day, which is actually today for me and Ginny. Yeah. And I absolutely adore this game. It sort of came out along with Child of Light uh, just shortly after Rayman Legends released as like a... uses the same engine, the UbiArt engine, which has produced some like really beautiful stuff. I don't know why they're not still using it. Uh, and this is a World War One game based on uh, letters and, and documentation. It manages the war scenario in a number of neat ways. So a lot of war games in this day and age, they've, they're they first-person shooters, they, they focus on the, the nitty-gritty, the, the combat, you're in the middle of it, you're not taking in anything. 
and you know off the top of my head i can i can count maybe two or three war games that actually have something to say about war one of those spec ops the line uh the other one would be call of duty 4 which is still a bit tenuous um now this one sets things up very differently so there's uh, four protagonists uh, and you get to see the way each one lives before they get like drafted into the war there's an old farmer called Emil there's an American soldier who volunteers just because he wants to join the cause there's a uh, a girl whose whose father is in a prisoner of war camp and she wants to make him proud and then there's a German guy who is living in France is in a relationship with Emil's daughter but then gets uh, drafted and has to go back to Germany and then he's he's fighting on the opposing side and um, by having Carl used in this way it prevents you from othering the enemy and them just being like faceless Germans or like in World War II shooters it's just like you know Nazis have become bullet fodder just because of the horrible stuff they did Um, you don't actually fire a gun at all in the entirety of this war game what it does instead is it shows you the effects the, the war has on everyone the families of the protagonists the civilians that are caught in the middle and it does it with this like really beautiful cartoon art style using the the ubi art engine but instead of trivializing the horror sort of makes it feel worse because you're seeing people gassed you're seeing people gunned down and it just i found it really affecting there is something odds with the heart the game has which is the boss fight at the end he is a typical Saturday morning cartoon villain so it does <laughs> sort of fly in the face of the way they they grow all the other characters which is a shame it does sort of weaken the message a little bit but I did find the the whole experience like really powerful and I have to admit I did shed a tear right at the end but the the bulk of the game is actually it's a puzzle game really you're doing logic puzzles you're doing physics puzzles you know like managing different elements in a different screen to progress Andrew, I did throw the code that we received at you because you hadn't played it before. Uh, have you had a chance to jump in yet? My plan was to beat it before recording, but I'm only actually about an hour into it. But that's okay, because even just from that hour I've played of it so far, it's already one of my favorite games of the year. Ah, I love it. <laughs> yeah, this game is a really simple puzzle game, and you solve some pretty basic platforming puzzles and then it tells you a little bit more of the story and it's got photographs and factoids about World War One, which was one of the dumbest things that ever happened in the 20th century basically it was a ridiculous war that never should have happened and a lot of cultural ideas about the meaninglessness of life came out of that conflict but that's a that's a, a much deeper subject for a, a much deeper podcast. Uh, so <laughs> I, I don't normally like playing games like this. Like uh, I don't play Call of Duty anymore just because it feels like they're they're glorifying these conflicts and not saying anything interesting about it. But I feel like what I played this so far treats World War One respectfully and it treats the characters and events respectfully and depicts it truthfully. Uh, so I feel like it's really hit that sweet spot between the game being fun but not making war look like fun, which is the usual problem that these war games run into. Like, uh, you know, loot boxes dropping down on the beaches of Normandy and things like that. 
Yeah, absolutely. I have no concerns that I'm going to turn on this game in the next however long I have left in it. I think play three to five hours I have left playing of it. Uh, looking forward to finishing it because I've been really impressed so far. Cool. Jenny, you've played this one before? Yeah, I played this one before and it, I actually wrote an article about War Games last year and it sort of was one of the few games to make the list of titles that actually, like you and Andrew both said, I think treat it with the gravitas that it deserves. And I didn't expect to be as affected by it as I was. I am a pretty emotionally stunted person. But I really, really connected with the way that the story was told. Obviously, the only other war games I've really played before then were shooting games. So to see the war from this perspective, where there's basically no use of machine violence, it's not really about heroes or villains, it's people caught up in this thing that is so much bigger than themselves. That was really affecting for me. So I highly recommend that you guys pick it up. If you've not played it already, it is a really meaningful experience. Three recommendations. Get right on it. <laughs> now, Andrew, you've the other games you've been playing, Brawlhalla, I remember you saying that you didn't really have a lot to dig into here, but give us your rundown. Brawlhalla is a free-to-play Smash Brothers. I think it's made with the Ubi art framework. If not, it certainly takes after the art style that usually comes out of an ubi art game you join the game and you hit people and the more damage they have the further they fly they fly off the screen you get a ko you know it's smash brothers but it has you know daily quests and it has daily login rewards it's a free-to-play smash brothers and i I feel like i was got (laughs) everything that i was going to get out of this game after about 10 minutes so yeah Cool. Just to confirm, I can't find any mention of the UbiArt engine, but the developer was bought by Ubisoft, which is why Rayman is joining it as a guest character. Cool. Uh, Now, we were expecting a code for Civilization VI. Uh, Instead, it was a code for Carnival Games, but (laughs) the trooper that you are, you persisted anyway. Uh, This game has been on every platform vr we has it really now on current consoles <laughs> and switch yes oh my my. Uh, my wife has it like six times it's a decent vr game apparently oh. but, uh, what are you making of it so far this was originally a wii game i know that much and boy does it feel like it because <laughs> it's just a collection of mini games not unlike what i kept thinking when i was playing this was this feels like a mario party game without the boards in it uh, you just go and play these different variations on carnival-based minigames. You know, there's knocking balls into holes that makes a horse run along the top of the screen, and the first person to get their horse to the finish line wins, or knocking down clown heads, or throwing rings onto posts. But then there's also more creative ones that uh, uh, maybe you would see at carnivals today i don't go to the carnival that often but like uh driving carts around and capturing lights for points and things like that it's very simplistic it was originally made for the wii when the casual games at the time what casual meant was a game that anybody can pick up and immediately start playing it's kind of like Wii Sports without the depth of Wii Sports. (laughs) I I gave it a couple hours of my time, and I'm like, I've gotten everything out of it that I'm going to get out of this $30 game. So thank you very much to the publisher for the code, but 
I cannot recommend this game to anybody who <laughs> who is a serious video game player. But like, if you need a game that if you still have family members who come over and you still play like you know Wii Bowling, you know it's it's been God what twelve years now since the Wii came out. If you're still doing that, you might get something out of this, but. If you're like me and you mostly play games by yourself and you mostly play core games, there's nothing here for you. Fair enough. That was the uh, verdict I was expecting, to be honest. It's fine. It exists. It's there if you want it. Okay, and the last game that you've been checking out, it's a sequel. Uh, so NBA Playgrounds, we both enjoyed. I sort of ditched it because there wasn't a great deal to it. The game has since been acquired by 2K Sports and they've turned it into one of their NBA 2K games. So it's NBA 2K Playgrounds 2. Uh, you were saying there's a lot more to this now uh, than the previous game? We we have referenced the original game many times on the podcast because we both played it when it first immediately came out before it had gotten some post-release patch support which fixed some of the game's oddities. Most notably, this is a game that's ruled by stat derived shot meters where like the better your character is at like i don't know three pointers then the wider your shot meter will be when you're making a three pointer when nba playgrounds the first one first came out those meters were invisible (laughs) so it was a pretty rough game but i stuck with it i did manage to beat all of the tournaments but i didn't you know obviously unlock everything because this game does have a, a gasha unlock system where you earn points to buy card packs and you open the card packs and the players that are inside are the players that you can play as same system in nba playgrounds 2 but there's a lot more modes that you can play to actually earn those points and there's actually a lot more to unlock too there's more players to unlock and there's also cosmetic items you can unlock to deck out your players in you know like like hoodies and hats and sunglasses and things like that so you can make your characters a little more personal rather than just you know because everybody had picked like you know larry bird and clyde drexler in the first game and everybody looked the (laughs) same and there's new modes uh there's an online tournament mode which i tried to get into briefly but i couldn't get connected with anyone which uh, I don't know what that says about the game, how it's doing on the Switch, but I I was unable to connect to anybody online. And there's a season mode now too, which I haven't finished a complete season yet, but if you pick a season and you can pick either the East Coast or the West Coast division to play in, and if you rank at the top on the season, you actually unlock a new legendary level character. So that's another way you can unlock characters as well. And then, then there's the basic exhibition modes, and each individual character has different challenges that you can unlock with them. Like uh, I did get Clyde Drexler at the very start as part of my characters you unlock right away. And like he had different things like steal the ball three times in exhibition mode or make three two-pointers in an exhibition mode. And that gets some little stat bonuses. And then also each character can also level up individually as you play as them just through earning experience points from basic play. So... With all the characters that there are in the game and all of the challenges on each individual character, if you're a completionist and you're into basketball, this game will keep you busy for a really long time. And all the obtuseness has been taken out, so like your shot meters are visible right from the start here. 
And, you know, I'm not a huge basketball fan, but I am a big RPG fan, obviously. Uh, so there's something here to keep even me interested. So I think if you're a basketball fan, uh, you would get into this even more than I did. Um, I have a question. So one of the things I didn't really like about the first one was that it felt like really sluggish compared to other arcade basketball games, say like NBA Jam. As, does it feel faster or more fluid or anything, or are, you, are we still looking at the, exactly the same engine? I don't play a lot of those games, especially recently, so I don't have that experience of comparison that you do. But from my memory of the first game that I played last year, this feels almost exactly the same. Okay. Uh, it does sound like an improvement if uh, you did like that game and you wish it had a little more depth. It sounds like they've added it, so uh, yeah, check that one out. Okay, folks, what are we playing in the coming week? Pokemon Let's Go! <laughs> Assuming Andy, you're also getting it? Yep, I'm getting it, and I am playing it and playing it. I've actually got a couple of days off, which have timed oh. out very nicely. Which um, version are you getting? I'm getting Pikachu, my wife is getting Eevee. Yes, excellent, because I was going to say, I was going to get Eevee no matter what, so I was hoping that you'd get Pikachu. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to give him the stupidest haircut. Good stuff. I'm hoping to spend some time with Civilization VI. Mm. Yes, fingers crossed. If not, Diablo, I assume. That's it for now. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of the Switch Focus podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on iTunes because it really helps to get us noticed on those charts. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, TuneIn, and other podcast services. Um, if you want to, no pressure. You can also join our Discord server to interact with the lively Switch Focus community and follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at switchfocuspodcast.com for updates, news, and other content. We'll leave links for you in the show notes as well. And lastly, if you want to support the show, you can now buy us a coffee and we'll have the details of that on our website and also as a pinned post in our Discord server. Thanks again for listening. You can follow us individually. Andy is at Flame Roast Toast. Andrew is at Play Critically. And he also streams at twitch.tv slash playcritically. So I suspect you'll see him do some of that um, over the next week or so. And I'm Ginny at Ginny Wars. Good night. <laughs>